Good morning. Turn in your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. Ian kicked off our Nehemiah series last Sunday, and we're going to continue in that, kind of preaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, right through it. And I love how the Bible speaks. Back on January 1, we talked about how the Bible is living and active and how it speaks to us. And we're seeing that here because a lot of the things that are happening in the book of Nehemiah, or as I like to say it, Nehemiah, right? Thank you for the three of you that chuckled. Um, uh, The things that we see here in the book of Nehemiah and the happenings here really coincide with what we're walking through as a church. And so I'm excited about that. Nehemiah is a great study of leadership. If you're a leader in the room, uh, it's a great study of leadership, but it's also a great study of obedience. And we're going to see that this morning, obedience and response to God and what he asks to do. So last time we saw our guy Nehemiah, last week with, with Ian reading, he, he was receiving some disturbing news. The news was about Jerusalem and its apparent fall into ruin. People disgraced. And what happened to Nehemiah was his heart, his burden, he cries out to God to hear his prayer and to grant him favor. We were reminded that prayer is always the right response to a challenge. Prayer is always the right re- response to a challenge. I've always, I've, I've, I've wondered lately, especially as, as I've been reading back through Genesis and the first part of Exodus, what would it look like if we as a people stopped complaining and started praying more? But that's another sermon. Maybe. But Nehemiah's prayer and reaching out to God are a model that we can use in our everyday life. So we're going to read these 20 verses, and what I'd like to do is kind of read a little bit, talk a little bit, instead of reading the whole chunk at the same time. Is that all right? All right, so let's read the first four verses together. Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now remember, he's the cupbearer, right? Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing that you're not sick. Now, let's stop right there for just a moment. Okay. Have you ever had somebody insult you like this? I will never forget, I walked into the, uh, the, the bank one day, years, years and years ago, and, um, and, and the, 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 the teller behind the bank looked at me and she said, you look tired today. what? Like, you don't lead with that. Like, that's like, when's the baby due, right? Like, don't, don't go there, right? And so, and so the king looks at Nehemiah and is like, what's up with your face? Fix your face. Why are you so sad? You're not sick. What's your deal? What's your issue? And, 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 and here's where we got to dive into the cultural thing, okay? Nehemiah was working for the king. It would have been against the law, okay, in this time for you as a servant, as a worker of the king, to bring something before him outside of the time. Now, you could request time with him to bring a concern, right? But for you to try to slide in there as a worker to get some special treatment, uh uh-uh, ain't gonna fly. Right? And so Nehemiah is now on some, on some slippery ground here. Okay? 
Because the king has now asked him, hey, what's wrong with your face? You're not sick. What's up? And how does Nehemiah respond? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's check it out. Seeing as you're not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah, very much afraid. Because again, what does he do? Look at his response, verse 3. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Look at the boldness. Now, Nehemiah had prayed for favor. And so the fact that he responds in this way, he's trusting God immediately, right? I've got nothing to lose. Dylan was just talking about our flight in last Sunday night, snow pounding on the ground, and he's like, I've got nothing to lose here, right? We crash, I've either got a story to tell, or I'm in the presence of Jesus, right? What could go wrong, right? I've got a story. We've got a story, in case you're... Anyway, uh, and, so, and so Nehemiah kind of goes out on a limb here, but I want you to notice what he did first. Let the king live forever. Now, what's, not, what's Nehemiah doing there? He's reassuring the king. He's paying honor to the king. He's like, listen, king, I've got, I've got no ill will here. I'm holding your arms up. I'm your cupbearer. I'm your servant. None of that's changing here. But God has given me a burden for the place that I came from. It's in ruins. The place of my father's grave is in ruins. Should I not be sad about that? Should I not be heartbroken over that? And so then the king responds in verse 4. Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? What a, what a question of favor. Right? What a question of favor. Because the king could have just been like, Stings to be you. Right? But the king's like, okay. I mean, I mean, obviously, the king was moved by Nehemiah's passion as he talked about his home place. Right? Can you just, can you picture that? Like here, Nehemiah comes in with wine for the king, cupbearer, right? I think Ian's still taking applications for his cupbearer. Okay? And, 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 and Nehemiah's demeanor is just sat. And, and, and the king's like, what's up? What's up? And so Nehemiah lays out his burden, his burden for his people. And the king's response, well, what are you asking? What are you requesting? <laughs> Nehemiah, what do I do now? And so he prays. Scripture says he prays to the God of heaven. So let's, let's dive, let's talk about this for just a little bit. First of all, I want you to see that what's happening here, okay, I've got some real cutting edge points this morning. Okay, point number one, what we see in these first four verses, a conversation with the king. Cutting edge, right? Cutting edge. Now, what we see in this conversation with the king is two things. A burden, right? A burden for his home place, a burden for a people of God, a burden for a rebuild, a burden for a people to, to, to be restored, 
right? To be restored. What a beautiful burden. But not, it didn't only stop at a burden. See, a lot of people have a burden. A lot of people have a sadness. A lot of people will watch something. They'll see something. They'll see. Uh, Kristen and I saw a commercial uh, a couple weeks ago uh, during, during a football game, and we were like, oh, right? A sadness for a group of people. I think it was like a, uh, 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 anyway, I don't remember. But, um, but it was, obviously, it made a big impact. Um, <clears throat> but, but people get sad about things all the time. People receive a burden. But notice the second part here. It's also a B, boldness. In this conversation with the king, we see a ne- Nehemiah had a burden, but he didn't let it stop there. He also had a boldness to do something about the burden that he had received. I'm convinced that many of us walk around with a burden, a sadness, a discontent with something that is, but we lack the boldness to do something about it. That's why Nehemiah is not just a phenomenal book about leadership. Because we see Nehemiah do some incredible things. We see him mobilize a people to do an incredible work, to overcome opposition. All those things are coming. But he had a boldness to do something about it. And that speaks to the obedience of Nehemiah. The obedience, that he wasn't just going to sit back in sadness. He wanted to move and do something about it. And so he prayed. He prayed homage. He he honored the king by saying, the king shall live forever. Now, from the initial prayer in chapter 1 to this moment, he'd been praying. He'd been on his knees for about four months. Okay? About four months. Now, let's get real for a second. Can we get real? All right, for the three of you, let's get real for just a moment, okay? Most of us get annoyed, don't we? Now, this is church. This is a safe place, okay? You don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to be honest with yourself and God in this moment. Most of us get annoyed when we don't get a response when God doesn't answer us in five minutes, right? Because we are a people who want what we want, and we want it now, right? I mean, I was, I, was, um, I was in a coffee establishment the other day. I won't tell you which one because all coffee matters, okay? But I was in a coffee establishment the other morning, and I was watching the time ticking on the screen at the drive-thru, and I saw that their daily average for that day was two and a half minutes for coffee. And I thought to myself, wow, two and a half minutes. And so I sat there and kind of rested in the fact that it was going to be about two and a half minutes for my coffee. And I, and I got to thinking, man, me, myself, and I for two minutes. And the three, the three of us had a great conversation for that two and a half minutes of standing there, right? But I watched person after person come in there and just be absolutely annoyed that they were having to wait. For a couple minutes, it was busy. It was a busy, 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 busy place. As any coffee establishment is between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., right? <laughs> right? Most of us get annoyed when it feels like our prayers aren't hitting the ceiling. Most of us get annoyed when we're like, okay, God, I need you 
to give me a sign. I need you to answer this prayer, and I need you to answer it right now. Most of us get annoyed when we feel like we're not hearing God because we're not in that for the long haul, or, God forbid, that He answers it in a way that we think not best. Because we like to think that we know better than He does. But notice here, Nehemiah has been praying for four months about what to do with this burden that he's received. Not only what to do, but favor from the king. Because if he's going to get out from under his responsibility with the king as cupbearer, the king is going to have to grant him permission. The king is going to have to send it. The king is going to have to give permission for that to happen. So there were a lot of things that had to fall into place. And Nehemiah is crying out to God for four months that God would make it clear what he was supposed to do. That God would make it clear for what he was supposed to do. So again, he goes, wine is brought to the king, probably uh, during a banquet, Nehemiah the cupbearer, and it says in verse one that he's never been sad before the king before today. The king had never seen this side of him. He had never been sad before the king. And again, this would have been considered a capital offense in this time because you don't approach the king with bad news, especially with your own problems. Especially with the own problems. I mean, consider going to work, having a bad day, and your boss just fires you because you have a bad day. And they'd never seen that side of you before. This would be more severe than that. It could have meant imprisonment for life. And in these times, the king would also customarily grant favors to others. And so Nehemiah makes the choice to show his heart. To trust the favor of God like we talked about a few minutes ago. And so the king asked, why do you look so sad? What's going on? Again, not allowed to bring personal issues to work. You're the servant of the king and in his presence, you're to remember that. And so when King Artaxerxes opened the door for Nehemiah by saying, what's what's up with your face? Why are you so sad? Nehemiah had a decision to make. And he walks right through the door. He walks right through the door. And and I love Nehemiah's question. Look at it again right there in verse 3. Why should my face not look sad when the city that I'm from lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed. It's a rhetorical question, but it definitely opens the door for conversation. Nehemiah knows this is the tricky part. Nehemiah would have known that this is the king who approved the destruction of that city. And his response shows concern but hasn't mentioned the city that he's burdened for, right? And this is a perfect example of God's favor on the life of someone that's following him. Let's keep reading. Verses 5 through 8. Let's see what happens. You guys good? What time does football start? Like 3.30? I got time. Okay, very good. If you're new or recent with us, don't panic. I usually make a time comment every week, and it makes some people roll their eyes and some people engage. Anyway, verse 5. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servants found favor in your sight, that you would send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. 
And, he, and the king said to me, the queen sitting behind, beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? Now, this was a big deal, right? This was a big deal. Nehemiah decides to go for it. Again, he's going to walk through the door. The king has opened the door. Nehemiah is going to walk through the door, right? And, and, so he, and so he says, if it pleases you, you're in control. If I've found favor in your sight, send me home. Send me home that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, and I find it really interesting that he records the queen sitting beside him. You know what that means? He chose the right time. The queen sitting beside him. How long are you going to be gone? When will you return? The king is actually considering this request. So it pleased the king. Again, not customary, not normal. It pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. So he wanted the king to give him not only the permission to go, but the authority to go, that he'd be able to pass through. And so, and a letter to Asaph, the, key, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Now, it's not, I want you to notice something, okay? It's not that Nehemiah was that good. It's not that Nehemiah was that good. Look at what he did. He just showed up to work sad one day. And the king asked him, what was up? And Nehemiah walked through the door, risking everything, mind you, right? And the king decided to ask him how long he was going to be gone. Nehemiah gave him a time. And the king said, all right. It pleased the king. There's, there's the favor of God. The favor of God's all through this conversation. Right? It pleased the king. And then Nehemiah takes it a step further. Can I get some letters of credit? Right? Can I get some letters that, 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 that the, 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 the leader of the forest would give me the timber that I need to to build the house, the house to live in? Can I get some letters of approval that, 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 that you're going to send me not only with your permission, but your favor? Wow, that's incredible. And so we see the second point here. Again, cutting edge points this morning. Nehemiah's request. And in this, in this, we see that, that Nehemiah is responding out of what? calling. Now this is huge for us. This is huge for us. I believe calling is the thing that separates us from just a Sunday morning attendance to a lifestyle of a Christian. Now, what's a calling? I'm glad you asked, okay? A calling is, a, is kind of a churchy term, okay, that we use around here to talk about what's your purpose. Now, I have Hopefully, you would affirm this. Maybe not. If not, please don't respond. <laughs> I have a calling, and I received it at the age of 16, 
to preach. I love preaching. Is preaching all I do? I wish. To most people it is, right? Those folks that say, oh, pastor, you only work on Sundays, right? Bless your heart. I want to throat punch you. Anyway, <laughs> did, that, did I say that out loud? Man, bummer. I should never go to Nashville again. I'm a little spicy this morning. All right. Um, where was I? Okay, calling, purpose, right? And so basically, right, it, it describes your purpose, right? And here's the beauty of it. Paul talks a lot about this in his letters to the different churches in the New Testament, right? That, that each one of you is a different part of the body of Christ, right? We've got elbows in here. We've got ears. We've got eyes. We've got noses. We've got some hair. We've got, right, we've got knees. We've got everybody's a different part of the body, right? And what's beautiful is when it comes to the body of Christ, we need everyone. Because I, I don't know how many people are in here, like 2,000, right? Preacher numbers, okay? Um, but we need every single one of you to operate in the purpose and the giftings that you bring to the table. Because as we talked about a couple weeks ago, and, 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 and in our vision series, the first three, three weeks of the year, Summit Church is not built on a single personality. It can't be. If it's just me, we're going to really struggle here. It can't be. We need the Bud Bensons. We need the Greg Beals. We need the Rhonda Perkinses. We need the Sheilas and the Dwaynes. We need the Cat Powers. We need every one of you to respond in the giftings that God has given you so that the body can operate as the body's intended to operate. And that, my friends, is what you call calling. It's calling. Now, time out. I have this conversation with people so often. Okay, Travis, we've been here like nine and a half years. We're ready. <laughs> That's a bit of an exaggeration. Okay, we've been here. We're ready. How do you want us to serve? Okay, I've had this conversation so many times, right? What do you want us to lead? What do you want us to do? Can I tell you something that I would love it if every single one of us would embrace? How about just... Love the people right around you. Would you do that for me? Like, just do that. And if the people right around you, as you're kind of looking subtly to your right, to your left, trying to see who's behind you, trying to you know, see who's right in front of you, if they don't fit, sit somewhere else next week and love them. Okay? Okay? Try, just, just embrace that calling. To show up here and grow in knowledge of the person and work of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Grow in knowledge and faith loving the people around you. My prayer for us, and I, and I shared it a few weeks ago, but my prayer for us this year is that we would just fall in love with one another. That we would respond to the call of God on His church to just simply love one another. 
Let God handle the rest with behaviors and the way they dress and the way they smell and the way they act and all of those different things. Like, like let God deal with those things and you just step back and love them. And love them. What does it look like? Oh, sounds like a perfect church, doesn't it? What would it look like if we just simply walked in here and loved being together? So Nehemiah received a calling and a purpose. And out of that, he was bold enough to just ask a question. Again, kind of putting it all on the line. Could have gone to jail. Could have been imprisoned. I mean, anything could have happened, written off, exiled, sent out, right? And, and even, even in this, like I think, I think Nehemiah, maybe we'll get a chance to have a conversation with him in, in eternity, right? I would have loved to have known, hey, what if the king hadn't given you the letters? Would you still have gone? Like what if he had said, yeah, you can go, but I'm not granting those letters to you. I'm not granting the timber. I'm not granting, you, you do it on your own and trust this God that's sending you. Right? And, and I believe, I believe he would have. I believe he would have. Because the calling and the purpose that God gives you is so much stronger than human reason. It doesn't make sense. It's so much stronger than human reason. This thing that we're doing and building this building at 26 Cressy Road, it's bigger than human reason. It doesn't make sense. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? We can't afford it. We can't, yet. We'll talk more about that next week in the family meeting. But anyway, don't get distracted by that. Calling and purpose outweighs human reason. Can I tell you a story? So two weeks ago, today, uh, we, we loaded our cars and drove uh, to Maine to, to take a pastor. I was 26 years old, knew everything. Right, Ben? And, and, um, and, and everybody used, everybody, uh, every, it was really hard. Because God called us here. But everybody wanted to make sense of why I was leaving North Carolina. Okay? The climate is way better. It's warmer. They don't get this white stuff that we've gotten every day this week. Um, the fried chicken is way better. They have sweet tea, liquid diabetes. They have, they have all these different things that just like, we just don't have. And everybody's like, well, we have lobster and we have beautiful four seasons. Yeah, it doesn't measure up. I'm just going to be honest. But I'm called here. I'm called here. And everybody, everybody liked to point fingers and say, well, no, you're just taking Kristen back to Maine because she wants to go. Ask her. She didn't want to come. It was God's call. Well, you must be getting more money because you're becoming a senior pastor. No. I was getting paid less as a senior pastor than I was as a youth pastor down in North Carolina. But people didn't want to hear that because they had made up their own story. 
And we didn't care. Because we knew, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that God had called us here. Now, that is not a, oh, pastor, you're so amazing. Thank you for being so faithful. Story. Because I could tell you story after story after story about how every day for the first 12 years I've wanted to quit. At some point. Or, or how I feel like so often at times that someone else in the same role could do such a better job than me. They could love you better. They would lead you so much better. They would speak in far less words. But I'm called here. And I know it. Beyond human reasoning, you're stuck with me, and vice versa, I'm stuck with you. Because I believe you're called here too. Because one of the questions that we ask at our membership class is, do I believe that I'm called to belong to Summit Church? And so if you're a member in here, you've been called. Or you lied in membership class. I love the calling that Nehemiah responds to and that we get to see that he's walking in his purpose beyond human reasoning because the potential consequences here were great. All right, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Stop sidetracking me, okay? Lastly, look at verses 9 through 20. We're going to read a little bit of a bigger section here. But notice the obedience. And notice as he's operating in his calling how easy it was for people to follow him. Love it. Verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king has sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sembalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now, pause right there and just look at me for just a minute. When you're obedient to God, when you're walking in his purpose, not everyone's going to like it. Okay? Not everyone's going to like it. Someone's going to try to talk you out of it. Someone's going to try to come and say, well, how are you going to eat? How are you going to feed your family? Someone's going to come and say, this doesn't make sense. But again, the call of God is oftentimes beyond human reasoning. Okay? But here we see some opposition starting. We'll get back to that in just a minute. Verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night of the valley, uh, by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. Great word for a day, gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. So many ruins, so much ruins stacked up. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and I entered by the valley gates and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do, who were to do the work. Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. 
how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But then... When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us, saying, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. What I see here is a few things. Okay, first of all, we're looking at, again, cutting edge point, point number three, journey to Jerusalem. He goes. He goes. We see his obedience. We see his faithfulness. And then we see God using him to build a team for the work that was ahead. He's accompanied, Nehemiah is accompanied by members of the king's army on this journey. It's assumed that the king would have known the journey would be tough. And perhaps... A show of force would keep Nehemiah from having conflict. But, Nehemiah just wanted to go. He wanted to see the ruins. He wanted to see what was happening. So he kind of snuck out in the middle of the night to see for himself the reality of what was ahead. And as with all journeys that involve working for God, Cue the party poopers. Cue the people that try to kill the vision. Cue the naysayers. Cue the people that will tell you you're not enough. Cue the people who will try to remind you of your past and, that, and the shame that you can't be used for good. And that's who we see. Questioning saying, what right do you have to be here? All of those things. Opposed to God and to God's work. And the reality is, and I want you to hear this, they were probably just threatened. Because Nehemiah had more favor as a cupbearer than they had in their roles that they had been in for years. Do you ever have someone in your life that's just a naysayer because they're jealous of what God's doing in your life? Some people can't handle the blessings of God in your life, and so they want to tear you down to their level because of jealousy. And you, family, can't let them. Trust the promise that God is who He says He is and He's not changing. And He is going to hold you in His hand no matter what the obstacles are ahead of you. And as the kids like to say these days, haters going to hate. Do they still say that, Elizabeth? We'll say they do. So let him hate. So he goes and he starts with an inspection of what's been done in the city. 
the ruins. And he still hasn't shared the full mission, the full vision for what's happening. Jerusalem at this time was approximately 48 square miles or about 30,000 30, acres to give you a little bit of a picture. And Nehemiah, what he's doing is he's preparing himself for the task at hand. The secret ride, the secret reconnaissance keeps to himself what God has put in his heart for Jerusalem. But that phrase in verse 12, that there was no animal with me but the one which, on which I rode, indicates that he is doing what the Lord has led him to do. And then he says in verse 16, who would be doing the work shows that he does not expect, does not expect to accomplish the task on his own. So hear this. Nehemiah knows that he needs the people of God to accomplish the will of God. So having studied, having prayed, and having acted, Nehemiah is now asking others to join him for God's work. And so, as you're sitting here this morning, how can we apply this to our lives? How can we apply this to our lives? What is God putting in front of you to be faithful with? What has God asked you to do that you're struggling to be obedient to? I sat when I was down in Tennessee to listen to a, a guy talk to a bunch of pastors and ministry leaders on, at something called Third Thursday. And they have a lunch and then somebody speaks. And the topic that he was speaking on that day was how to not give up, essentially. And he said, there's two ways to never, there's two ways to not give up. And I want to share them with you here. His name is Derek, so if you want to give Derek credit, that's fine. If you don't, just give me credit. Okay? Two steps. Number one, pray like it's your job. Pray like it's your job. Do whatever it takes, whatever you have to do, Pray like it's your job. If you're sitting here this morning, you're struggling with purpose. Pray like it's your job. If you're sitting here this morning, you're like, why am I here? What am I doing? Pray like it's your job. If you're sitting and you're going to work day after day after day, why am I going to this job? What am I doing here? What do you have for me here? What is happening? Pray like it's your job. If you're in a relationship and you're doubting and you're like, why am I sticking here? What is, what is the purpose of this relationship? Pray like it's your job. Pray, pray, pray. Nehemiah prayed for four months before he acted. Four months before he did anything. And even then, he didn't really do anything other than walk into work sad. He was just delivering a cup of wine with a look on his face sad. And the king asked him a question. So he prayed for four months before God opened a door. Are you willing to pray as long as it takes for God to open the door for you to be faithful in what He's asking you to do? Secondly, consume Scripture like it's your only meal. I shared it with the setup team this morning. I received a text today. Well, I'll read it to you. I'll read it to you. I'll read it to you. About 7 a.m. this morning, uh, I got a text that says, um, wow, there it is. 
I read Exodus 17 this morning and it turned into a prayer for each of us that we'd all have faithful errands and hers who will stand with us as we serve, allowing us to serve longer as we endure till the end. And so, as my friend read this, Exodus 17, which if you know the story of Exodus 17, Israelites are in battle. Moses leaves Joshua down to handle the battle. And he takes Aaron and her up to the mountain with him. And as long as Moses' arms were raised, the Israelites would win the battle. But if the arms started to fall, they would start to lose the battle. And so Moses' arms got tired, as you can imagine, from holding them up during the battle. And so Aaron and her propped themselves, propped, a, propped a, uh, something under Moses for him to kind of lean back on to support him. And then they got under each arm and held his arm up. Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture that you can't do it alone, right? Beautiful picture that you need a team, that you need people. And so I shared that with the, the setup team this morning. And, and then as I was talking to a couple of folks after, I thought, you know, what follows that is Exodus 18. And I've talked about this many, many times before. But Exodus 18 is a story where Moses is, 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 is out working with the people. Thousands and thousands of Israelites. And Jethro, my favorite name in scripture, who knew Beverly, Beverly Hillbillies was biblical? <laughs> Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes to visit Moses, brings, brings uh, Moses' wife, Jethro's daughter, and the kids to visit daddy, to visit husband, to visit, right? And so he observes. And I want you to notice something, because this struck me this morning for the first time. I can't tell you how many times I've read Exodus 18, quoted it, told the story, but this struck me this morning for the first time. The first thing that, Mo, that, that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, does when he comes and visits him is praises God for the work. Brings a sacrifice of praise. Saying, you, my son-in-law, are kicking butt and taking names. Right? You're doing amazing in the work of God. God is using you, and I am praising God for His work through you. Your faithfulness, your obedience to the work. I am praising him. You are doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Thanks be to God that you are being faithful. When's the last time your father-in-law did that for you? When's the last time you did that for a son? For a daughter? Where you went and the first thing you did was just say, Man, I am so proud of what you're doing here. I am so proud of the work of God that is among you. So proud. Thanks be to God. Then, the next day, Jethro decides to observe Moses in action, sitting as judge. Now, again, in this time, people would bring things before Moses so that Moses could go to God on their behalf. So that Moses could intercede. So that Moses could counsel. Right? Thanks be to God because of Jesus. Right? We don't have to go to a high priest on our behalf. We have access to God on our own. Hence the reason I'm just a mouthpiece. Right? You really don't need me. Okay? But for Moses in this time, people would have lined up all day long to come in because they just had to see Moses. They just had to see Moses. 
Moses needed to hear about their complaint. Moses needed to hear about their problem. And he would have the wisdom and the answers to fix everything. And so Jethro, again, observing this, right? Person after person, family after family, walking in. And Moses, sitting alone as judge, gets to the end of the day. Jethro comes up. He says, you know what, Moses? What you're doing for you and these people is not good. You serving alone as judge here is not good. You've got to build a team. Because if you keep doing this, you are going to wear you and these people straight out. Don't sit alone as judge. So what's Moses do? He goes and builds a team. But, but, not, but not a team of Moseses. Okay? He builds teams that, uh, uh, of people that can serve the hundreds, the fifties, the tens. Right? Because not everybody's plate is the same size. Not everybody can be Moses. Right? Not everybody can serve the, the multitudes. And, and the scripture says, that we read it this, uh, yesterday, if you're, if you're reading through the Bible with us, okay? the scripture literally says that they handled the small tasks and then they would bring the big things to Moses. Now, consuming scripture like it's your every meal. Exodus 17 and 18. Speak to things that we're walking through as a people right now. And it's almost like, as I'm reading the Bible, God's in control. And so if you're wrestling with your purpose, if you're wrestling with where you belong, if you're wrestling with what am I doing here, Pray like it's your job. And look to God's word like it's your only meal. Don't rely on Sunday morning to get the wisdom that you need for every day of your life. Don't just look to that small group to fix your problems. Don't just feel like you need a coffee with the pastor to make sense of your life. I'm more than willing to let you buy me coffee but I'm not your answer. God is. And if the counsel that you seek doesn't point you to Him in Scripture, run. Run. Now, here's the big idea for this morning. Worship team is going to come. Okay? Big idea. Nehemiah has, it's a, it's a little comparison chart, Okay? Nehemiah has already prayed and received favor from God. Four months. He's already received from God authority with the king's backing to go. The king's conversation that we looked at this morning. He's already been given a clear mission to rebuild the city. Right? So, he's heard from God. He's received authority. He's been given a clear calling, a clear mission. But haven't we already received the same? Don't we have favor from God to share His message? Go make disciples of all nations. That's to the church. That's to you, family. That's to me. That's to us. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Don't we live in a free land where we can share Christ to all? 
Don't we have a clear mission to build His church and to bring others to Jesus and to make it hard to get to hell from southern Maine? We do. What's our excuse? True freedom in life is only found in discipline. The discipline to follow God and do what He says. And we don't achieve that intimacy without effort. And so today, my question is very simple and I'm going to pray for us. What's your burden? What's the thing that God has just saddened you over and you can't shake it? And what's He asking you to do about it? And are you willing to do whatever it takes to pursue Him and follow Him? Whatever it takes. Against human reason. Whatever it takes. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you're the same God that called Nehemiah home. To go home and to faithfully restore and to rebuild. And God, there's many things, there's many parts, there's many aspects to the story that we're going to get into over these next few weeks. But today, in this, in this section, we see fascinating, unmerited favor. A king that asks a question that cares about his servant and a servant's bold, faithful, obedient response. And God, I pray that you would stir these things in us. That we wouldn't be content with mediocrity or just walking through the motions. But that we would be faithful with what's right in front of us. With that person that's right around us this morning. To ask them. To love them. To care. To be a friend. And so God, stir in our hearts today. According to your word. What you would have us do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.